I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler. On this episode, we will discuss a new article about the QB race from Will Miles. Ask, why not Max Brown? Napier hires a familiar face to coach the Florida wide receivers. An impressive list of recruits visited Florida last weekend, and the Utah opening date has been confirmed. Will, how's it going, man? Hey, going all right. All right. Took Friday off now that they've moved the moved that Utah game. So had to get that PTO request in early, man, because one, we'll be up late doing like post game videos and things like that over for Patreon. And then two, um, I might have a beverage or two when I'm done with the writing and the recap and all that stuff um, to hopefully celebrate a season opening win. So I got to got to get that Friday off. Yeah, a little early start to the to the opening weekend in college football. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that, though, in for in in a dollar here. So let's jump right into it and talk about your article here about Max Brown. Obviously, quarterback race at camp. It's mostly been the Graham Mertz show in terms of the expected starter. Uh, Napier did leave open the possibility that the Caters would dip into the portal if necessary over the summer. Jack Miller will get the opportunity to compete, but I don't think there are a lot of people out there who think he's going to win that job. But Will, you wrote an article this week asking, why not Max Brown? Brown arrived in Gainesville as part of Napier's first recruiting class, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, quarterback out there for a couple of years. He was also a baseball player actually currently playing baseball on the Florida baseball team at the moment. So he's doing double duty with baseball and football through for uh, 2,750 yards and 41 touchdown passes. And he rushed for another 1,300 uh, yards and uh, 20 rushing touch touchdowns all as a senior in Tulsa. So this guy can play. Will we saw his pedigree he was a three-star recruit coming out of high school, but what do you say? I know you addressed this in the article, but what do you say to someone who writes Brown off as a potential starter for this year? Because if you're going to make a move, the spring would be the time to make the move and splitting your time with baseball, probably not the best thing for a quarterback right now. I mean, maybe. I think the question becomes, are you interested in a guy who's going to compete? Or are you interested in a guy who's who's going to focus? And I think, you know, you can get both of those. But a guy who wants to go out and play on the baseball team, uh, especially this baseball team, they're ranked, I think, fifth in the country. Just had a shutout tonight. This is we're recording on Thursday night. Just just shut out Alabama tonight, 3 nothing. So, you know, this is a really good baseball team. He's going out there and competing. You know, I think there's benefits to playing multiple sports. I think there's benefits to going out there and just competing. And quite honestly, he didn't get to do much competing last year. And so, you know, he's a redshirt freshman. He's had more time in the system than Mertz and just as much time in the system as Jack Miller. And so, you know, he, he it's not like one of these guys has this massive experience gap in Billy Napier's offense. And the biggest thing that I look at is the dude's accurate completed 71.6% of his throws out of 356 throws his junior and senior year in high school. It's hard to do that against air. Anybody who watched Anthony Richardson's pro day where he airmailed a couple of ones, he probably only completed 75% of his passes in the combine. So if you're completing 72, regardless of what your, what your competition level is, and that's the question is what's the competition level. Now, last year I wrote an article about Max Brown, looked at the, looked at the film and you can actually find that link in the article. I looked at the film on him and he was definitely somebody that you looked at and said, I think he might be developmental because he would hesitate sometimes when things would come open. You would see the concept. There'd be some hesitation. He was gifted enough at that level to be able to run away or be able to wait and get the ball in late because the defensive back couldn't close. Those are things he'll have to fix. But I, I think this is more, I mean, 
what kind of confidence do you have in the ceiling of Jack Miller? And that was one of the things I looked at in the article. I actually, you know, Jack Miller is a little bit better runner than you think of. They ran a couple of RPOs and a couple of read options in the game against Oregon State. He's a little bit better runner. So he might, at his at his absolute ceiling, be an above-average starting quarterback in the SEC. But that's his absolute ceiling. I think Graham Mertz's ceiling is actually a below-average quarterback in the SEC. I know everybody's excited. He's looking good in spring. But let's be honest, Anthony Richardson looked awesome in the spring game last year. And there were times that he looked awesome last year, but there were also times where it was pretty clear that practicing against that Florida defense made him look a lot better than, than maybe he was, or at least more consistent than he was. And we have three years of tape, three years of statistical evidence that Graham Mertz is who he is. Is he going to take a step up in Billy Napier's offense? Maybe. But again, even at his ceiling, if he starts matching some of his high school numbers in terms of yards per completion and completion percentage, because he's a statue back there and doesn't add anything in the running game, you're looking at a guy who's going to be average to below average at his ceiling. Mm. And so I'm looking at it saying, is a guy like so Anthony Richardson? I had well above average last year. Now he was very variable, right? I mean, you'd have a game where he'd be way, way, way above average, and then you'd have a game where he was very much below average. I think maybe you get a little bit more stability from Graham Mertz, where he's not, where he's just slightly above average some games and slightly below average in others, and you know you sort of end up at average overall. But where does that get you in the SEC? Having a guy for one year who's around average, maybe it means you beat Vanderbilt. Maybe it means that you can beat McNeese State and those sorts of teams. Are you going to be able to go on the road against Utah and win that game? Maybe because Cam Rising's out. You don't really know what Utah's got at quarterback. Plus, he's got three years of experience, so I'm not necessarily mad if Mertz is out there starting the game against Utah. But what are you trying to build at Florida, I think, is the question. And if you're just going to band-aid the quarterback position with with transfers who stay there for a year and then are out, DJ Lagway better be really, really good because you're just band-aiding the program until you get a guy in there who who can excel. And I look at Brown's profile and I say he's a high-variance guy. He might completely flop, but he's also a guy who ran average seven yards per rush in high school, which means he's going to add something on the ground using his legs which means that his floor is actually right around average <laughs> when you look at it. You know, if he's just an average SEC quarterback, or if he's just average, in, or if he's below average in terms of what I would expect from him, I think he's going to be around where Mertz ends up to. So basically, I'm looking at it and saying, I think you've got a very low ceiling candidate in Mertz, but probably a relatively high floor. And then you look at Miller, and I, I, I think he's probably a little bit better than Mertz just because of his legs, but who knows? Because we've only got like forty snaps of gameplay with him. And then if you look at Max Brown, it's somebody we know nothing about. He might completely flop, but he might be awesome. And the question is, if he turns out to be awesome or even above average, you end up with a quarterback who adds so much with his legs that you're going to be able to move the ball down the field in in ways that aren't necessarily conventional, but in ways that should be more effective. So I, I just, I, and, again, and in ways that Mertz and, and uh, Miller aren't bringing to the table. To yeah. So, point. I mean, look, if you wanted to use him in a Tebow role where you bring him in when, when you need runs or when you need RPOs right. or when you need something like that, you could do that too. I think there's not, I mean, I think one of the things that somebody on Twitter said after I posted the article was, Hey, why don't we get him in against McNeese state? And then some of those cupcake games after the Utah game to see what he can do. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But here's the deal. I mean, guys like this with this sort of completion percentage profile, and he wasn't just dinking and dunking because he averaged over 12 yards per attempt um, on, you know, in his, in his high school days. So he wasn't dinking and dunking. He was going downfield guys with that sort of profile. Don't flop. 
Like they don't end up completing 52% of their passes or anything like that. It's going to come down. I don't think he's going to complete 70% of his passes in college, but if he completed 65% of his passes, that's four or 5% above what you would project you'd get from Graham Mertz or Jack Miller. And so I, I just look at it and I go, I know everybody thinks he's this high variance candidate who's, you know, we don't know what we're going to get. I'm like, yeah, that's true. But when I look at the profile, I go, I think you're, I think, you know, you're going to get more than you're going to get from what these guys have already put on tape. Like nobody's excited about Jack Miller after watching that bowl game. Nobody should be excited about Graham Prince after watching Wisconsin for three years. Yes. He's escaping the Wisconsin offense, but you know, guys who come in with his profile from a recruiting perspective tend to turn into stars right away or they don't like, it, it's not like they, they have this three years and then immediately they jump. Um, there have been a couple of cases recently, but you don't want to bank on that. I think the biggest sales point for Graham Mertz is what would this season look like going into the season without Graham Mertz? And all of a sudden, Graham Mertz looks a lot more attractive when you look at it that way. So it is, it's good to have the option with Mertz uh, on that. But I, I believe I said it on Gators breakdown a few weeks ago, not talking myself into that being a, a huge, uh, huge pickup for Florida, but definitely a guy that can maybe fill in the gap and bring you some level of consistency to that position. But I like the point with Brown. Well, that's a that's a completely different look at it. Bring something. There's enough differentiation in his game that he does bring something different to the table than either Miller or Mertz. And if you could package him in certain positions, like maybe it's not killing him to not be there uh, for every bit of spring practice. Because I, I mean, you got to imagine he's jumping out to the baseball field. He's probably spending. I would imagine he's spending more time with the baseball team, right? I mean, I would think season so. Right now, so like I would imagine that in that situation, in terms of being the starter, eh, that's difficult. But in terms of being a guy that can at least show up and make some plays and compete and maybe find some type of role early on, hey, that'd be great. That'd be great if that could happen. I mean, look, I don't know whether he's going to get a real shot at it. And I, oh, look, I haven't seen practice either. It may be that he's really, really far behind and and that he's not able to study because he's playing baseball and all those sorts of things. But I don't think that's true. I think when you get someone who's a competitor, they put in the time that's necessary to do what they need to do. And, you know, I, I just, where are you trying to go? No, no one would have any problem with me suggesting that Jaden Rashada should be starting if Rashada had committed and had stuck. Right. Mm-hmm. They'd all be like, yeah, that makes sense. All I'm doing is making the same argument with Max Brown, looking at the high school tape, looking at the high school stats and going, you know what? I think Napier actually found a diamond in the rough. Now, I don't think he's going to turn into Kyle Trask, but he doesn't have to be Kyle Trask. He just has to be like Felipe Franks. And he's got a profile that's better than better than Mertz. Mertz has been bad for three years at Wisconsin. Not not like, oh, not like, oh, he's been average. He's been below average, significantly so, whether you look at QB rating, whether you look at yards above replacement, whether you look at EPA per play, anything you look at. Wisconsin has had two top 10 defenses in the three years that he was there. And the one year it wasn't top 10, it was 17th. And they've gone 20 and 13th. Again, mm-hmm. at what point do we look at the quarterback and go, you had a top 10 defense? You got to make some freaking plays. And yes, the offense is boring. And yes, Wisconsin has limited limited uh, imagination in, in the offense. And yes, the skill players are not great. And those skill players are going to be better at Florida. But I just look at it, I go, two top 10 defenses and one ranked 17th. And you went 20 and 13 as the starting quarterback. And your QB rating over the three years was 127.7. Eesh. Like, why am I expecting that to get that much better? And even if he takes a major leap, 
you're up in like the 150s. That's right around where Felipe Franks was. So like a major leap puts him 2018 Franks. That team had a pretty good defense. Florida's defense is going to be that good this year, I don't think. Um, not Certainly not in line with the 2018 and 2019 defenses that won 21 games over those two years. And so I just I have a lot of questions about a guy who's put a lot of snaps on tape. And those snaps on tape have been incredibly inconsistent, if nothing else. Well, at least you're putting out another option there in case uh, in case it's needed. So <laughs> I like always I like positive that. here, man. Always positive. Why not Max Brown from Will Miles on Reading Reaction? Go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Let's move on to four bits here. Talk about the new wide receiver coach, same as the old wide receiver coach. Well, Nick Delatore of On Three Sports broke the news that Napier has hired Billy Gonzalez to be the next wide receiver coach, uh, held the title of wide receiver coach at Florida, of course, during the Dan Mullen era, 2018 through 2021, worked with Mullen during his time at Mississippi State for many of the years he was in Starkville. But, of course, Gonzalez also coached at Florida under Urban Meyer from 2005 to 2009. Uh, Look, a lot of good receivers have come through with Billy Gonzalez here. I think this is a hire that the fan base is very comfortable with overall. He's well known. He's there's been a lot of production out of that position during his times in Gainesville. And I have a soft spot personally for anybody from the, those Meyer years too, because those teams were just so good. And I do think the wide receivers performed fairly well during the Dan Mullen era as well. So Billy Gonzalez is a, I, I, was surprised by the hire. I'll say that I, I was surprised by the hire, but he returns back to uh, it'll be his 10th year here in Gainesville starting next season. I, I, I love this hire. It's a guy who has a ton of experience at the position. Napier went extraordinarily young with his coaching staff last year. And I think in many ways that, that caused some issues, especially when things started to go downhill. You see Patrick Tony comes out. We bring in a 29 year old defensive coordinator with not much of a track record. Okay, that's that's we'll see. But now you go to the wide receiver position and you just don't have to worry about it. Right. This is a set it and forget it. And Napier and staff are going to have to to lock down recruiting when it comes to wide receivers. But I think you can tell a good story with Billy Gonzalez there. Now, Gonzalez isn't necessarily a knockdown drag out, you know, going to bring in the best receiver ever recruiter. But I think we thought, <laughs> to be honest, we thought some of the guys that got brought in last year, you know, Corey Raymond specifically at the DB spot was going to lock down, um, you know, five star dbs whether it be desmond ricks or kermani mcclain and that didn't happen either it's a full staff thing when it comes to recruiting and quite honestly it's the defensive coordinator and head man who are going to be bringing in the defensive players so it's the offensive coordinator and the head coach and since napier is both of those that's the guy who's going to be responsible for bringing in wide receivers who change the game here that's just the reality but you look at who we coach chad jackson and dallas baker were the top two pass catchers in 2005 dallas baker ends up being the top catcher with andre caldwell in 2006 and you got percy harvin lewis murphy riley cooper terrence Tolliver, Odell Beckham, Ruben Randall for his time at LSU. Yet Deronia Wilson and Fred Ross. Fred Ross, a complete developmental prospect who caught like 160 balls in 2015 and 2016. He brings in Van Jefferson as a transfer from Ole Miss. He immediately comes in and contributes. You had Josh Hammond and Freddie Swain, especially the development of Swain. And the 2020, maybe like the coup de grace for, for Billy Gonzalez, Kadarius Tony. 
a guy who I loved the entire time he was there, but obviously was very inconsistent at wide receiver. And everybody remembers 2020 for Kyle Pitts. Canaries Tony caught 30 more balls than Kyle Pitts did. And Tony was the reason they had any shot in that LSU game. He was the reason they had any shot in that Alabama game. Um, and obviously was a major participant in the Super Bowl this year. Um, major, major physical skills, somebody that Jim McElwain brought in, but Billy Gonzalez was able to mold him into a guy who was capable of being a first-round NFL draft pick. Van Jefferson ends up being a second-round NFL draft pick. Freddie Swain is contributing with the Seattle Seahawks. Kyle Pitts, if anybody could figure out how to throw him the ball in Atlanta, would be really, really good. And then you got Jacob Copeland and Justin Shorter were the 2021 leaders in pass catching. So even with the limitations in Emory Jones and uh, – and and Anthony Richardson there in 2021, Copeland and Shorter were able to catch 40 balls each. So I look at it and I say, I, I think if you gave me over under two guys catching 40 balls on Florida this year, I'd say over because historically there's only a couple of years, I think 2017 at, Mich- at uh, Mississippi State and maybe 2012 in Mississippi State, did he ever have a time where two guys didn't catch 40 balls for the team? So they're going to be able to identify the guys who can get out there, who can win the battles and you know, look, regardless of who the quarterback is, they're going to need guys who can get open. Florida struggled with that the last few years. But you think about who they need to step up. They need Aiden Mizell to step up. They need Eugene Wilson to step up. They mm-hmm. need Andy Jean to step up. Who better to get them to step up than the guy who's been able to get these guys ready to play at an SEC level? He doesn't have to recruit anybody if he gets those three guys to I was going to say, for, level. for people expressing recruiting – concerns he's got three gems in his lap right now that maybe you just hauled in in this last cycle so that's a good start well i mean and again i I think it's a question of you know we talked about earlier in 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 earlier episodes about jaquavian frazier's needing to step up Mm -hmm. it would be great to see ricky pierce all take one more leap right and then you got guys like cal bowman and you've got guys like jamarcus weston if he ends up staying on this side of the ball marcus burke and caleb douglas all those guys have done have shown flashes can you get them to do it consistently and put up 20 or 25 catches behind the guys who are going to put up 40, right? I think Ricky Pearsall, we expect him to put up 40, 45 catches. I don't know who else is out there who's going to put up those sorts of catches. Um, the other thing is, is it's interesting is that, you know, Kyle Pitts and Aaron Hernandez had a lot of wide receiver in them. I don't know how often those guys actually interfaced with Billy Gonzalez, but in a Napier offense where you're going to be where you want tight ends to have some wide receiver skills. I do wonder whether bringing him on is going to help guys like Dante Zanders and Keon Zipper and that sort of stuff um, as they sort of incorporate some of the footwork technique drills, all that sort of stuff for the wide receivers. Do you bring that along as well? I think it's a home run hire considering the time of year, right? I mean, you, you think about it, it's not like, it's not like there were just 14 staffs that and were staff, fired. Staffs you, are pretty set at this point. Yeah, There weren't 14 staffs out there that you could just go grab from. This is something where for a wide receiver coach position, um, you know, to pull somebody off of a roster that's out there, somebody who's familiar, somebody who's got, you know, geez, since 2005, he's been a wide receiver coach. So he got 17 years of being a wide receiver coach. He's not going to be putting together lesson plans when he comes into spring practice. Like he will know exactly what he wants to achieve. He knows exactly what he wants to achieve. I think out of all the, you know, there've been a lot of times where I've been critical of Billy Napier. This is one where I just go, we didn't see it coming. It's an awesome hire. Like, I, I just think this is going to be great for, for everything, including Decker, the graduate assistant, who I think was in the running to be the wide receivers coach. If Billy Gonzalez decides to go someplace else, then you've got his ready-made replacement there, but you've brought in 17 years of experience with coaching these guys to then, to then bring Decker along. So I think, mm-hmm. I think it really ends up being a, a, a great mentoring relationship in that capacity as well. 
Well, you mentioned some of the veterans that you'd really like to see step up that haven't really stepped up in the regular producers in this offense. Frazier's Burke, for example, Gonzalez knows what these guys are about from day one when he steps in. Well, he helped recruit he's them. Yeah. He's <laughs> coached the guys. All right. So he, he has the cheat sheet to the playbook. So he, uh, interesting thought though, today with this hire third time working at Florida under a third different head coach, granted solid connection there with the Meyer Mullen, but no connection with this staff. So really unusual situation. I was like, I was, I wonder how many assistants have actually done that in Florida. And one came to mind, Will. Who do you think I'm gonna I'm gonna say here? Charlie Strong, maybe? Yeah, Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong started as a graduate assistant in '83 under Charlie Pell, '84 with Galen Hall, came back under Hall in '88, '89 as an outside linebackers coach, went to Ole Miss for a year, back under Spurrier. In 91 to 93, ended up uh, jumping up to associate head coach, defensive tackles. He was defensive end coach, 91, 93, and coached the uh, defensive tackles and was the associate head coach in 94. Left for Notre Dame with Lou Holtz and then went to South Carolina with Holtz and then came back to Florida under Zook and ended up staying through Meyer, of course. So, so you saw so what you're telling Florida me is for that- 10 years with Charlie Strong under, under, Hell, uh, Hall, Spurrier, and Zook, and Meyer. That's so pretty incredible. So what you're telling me is that if our special teams are still terrible this year, that we should bring back Ron Zook? That's the uh, that's the strategy? <laughs> hey, man, dip back into the well, whatever. He's, he's probably still sleeping really fast or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's jump over here to six bits. 2024 recruits who visited this past weekend. It wasn't just 2024, Will. Uh, we had a 2027 recruit. If that, if anyone wants to take that in for a second, there's 27, 27 recruits out there already. So never stops. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of names to mention here. Will on the, on the defensive side of the ball, we got this from Gator country uh, safety, Brandon Jacob, George uh, UCF defensive line commit sincere Edwards, defensive lineman, Dontre Robinson and defensive lineman, Jamonta Waller. Those were the list on the defensive side of the ball for this past weekend. Yeah. I mean, so they also have Miles Graham in, I believe, as well. Um, yeah. sort of solidifying his his uh his path there. And then Xavier Philsame, the safety out of Texas, ranked 55 overall. He was he was there as well. Um, look, I think I think it was a great smorgasbord of guys. Clearly, the defensive side of the ball was a priority. Um, you know, you talk about Graham, Phil Same, then Jacob at safety, then Edwards, Robinson, and Waller there at defensive line and edge. Clearly, they want to build up front. That was something that they emphasized in the 2023 class was bringing in a lot of defensive linemen. Um, given some of the difficulties that Florida's had at defensive line, I can't say that I uh, disagree with that assessment. Um, Jacob, Edwards, and Robinson are the guys you look at and say, okay, they're the they're the ones you can't miss. They're ranked 241, 264, and 472, but at the same time, they're from Orlando and Apopka, and that's the place where you just got to lock down. Those are Florida guys. You want to supplement with Florida guys. It's great that they're on the visit. You're going to have to close the deal pretty soon get those guys in. Um, Waller is from Mississippi, and then Phil Sam's from Texas, and then Graham obviously is a commit from from Georgia, but also a uh, uh, a legacy. So uh, pretty good uh, pretty good uh, defensive smorgasbord there for Florida coming in this weekend from that 2024 class. A few highlights from the offensive side of the ball. Offensive lineman uh, Fletcher Westfall from Virginia. Running back Michael Welch. Uh, and receiver 
Kai Bates was also in town. Yeah, I mean, look, I think <laughs> tackle, important spot. Westfall is actually one of the guys I believe that uh, when when Gator Dave had uh, DJ Lagway on, he was talking about getting <laughs> trying to recruit him into, into Gainesville. And then Welch at running back and then Bates wide receiver. Again, Bates from Orlando, one of those Florida guys you want to lock down. Michael Welch from Georgia, I think from South Georgia, so actually essentially Florida, um, even though he wouldn't be listed that way. Westfall's from Virginia. He's interesting. I want to say he's like the number – three or four player overall in the state of Virginia. There's a tight end up there. I think the Florida's targeting as well. Who's the number one prospect overall or number one tight end prospect at least. And uh, so look, I think offensive line is a place where Florida needs to get stronger, especially in recruiting. There've been a lot of guys in sort of that four or five, 600 range that they brought in who are more developmental prospects. They got a couple of guys in that 150 to 200 range this year. Westfall fits that profile. And so a big dude who's going to be able to come in and contribute at left or right tackle, you know, maybe a sophomore year is somebody that you absolutely want to target. And, and uh, you know, the fact that you got to go to Virginia for that is a little bit disturbing. I'm sure there's a couple of guys in that rating in the, in the Florida area, but it's just one weekend. And uh, you know, certainly you want to make sure that you've got, uh, got all your bases covered. So he did come down last fall for a game, it sounds like. So it, this has been a relationship in the works here with Westfall. So it, I mean, it sounds like they know what they want there. Uh, also from the 2025 class, offensive lineman David Sanders, defensive lineman Armando Blunt, and defensive lineman London Merritt. I did mention that 2027 class, the quarterback Trent Seaborn was also on campus last weekend. Yeah, I think Seaborn, 2027. We got a few years until that guy's a reality. Jeez. Though the good news is, is he'll be he'll be starting right when DJ Lagway's eligibility is running out. So, or when DJ Lagway's head to the NFL. So, uh, so if you're trying to get right. the guys in the pipeline, that that's the way to sort of think about it. Sanders is the star here, number one overall player in the 2025 class at offensive tackle out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, you know, again, no secret. Florida's looking for elite talent. Florida needs elite talent. They need elite talent on the offensive line because of what Billy Napier wants to do. A standout left tackle for three years who's going to start day one is what Sanders is. He's a guy you want to target. Same thing with Blunt. He's the fifth overall player in the nation defensive line out of Miami. Um, obviously, that's going to be a tough sell with, with Cristobal down there in Miami. Most of those guys tend to go in that direction, um, but he's a Florida guy. And you're going to have to win battles against Miami. You're going to have to win battles against Florida State if you want to reign supreme in the state, if you want to reign supreme in the SEC, and if you want to reign supreme in the country. So these are battles they got to win. He's the number five overall player. You got him on campus. Again, 2025 class. But look, you start supplementing the guys they brought in in that you know, 60, 70, 80, 90, 150 range with a couple of guys on the defensive line who were true difference makers. And things look very, very different, right? You even think about like um, in 2008 when Percy Harvin was on the team and then Percy Harvin goes away, Riley Cooper steps up to be a really good receiver, but it wasn't the same offense. And some mm -hmm. of that was because we had Steve Adazio, an offensive coordinator, and we're running dives three times a, three times a drive. But, um, but irrespective of that, a big part of that is just you had an elite talent who drew attention away from everyone else, opened everything up, and that's the power of a guy like Percy Harvin. And it's a little bit less less easy to see when it's an offensive tackle or when it's a defensive an interior defensive lineman. But, you know, guys like Dominican Sue and stuff like that, who almost won the Heisman trophy because they're that disruptive. Like that's the thing you're looking for to supplement all these guys who are, who are good players. And maybe one of them turns into an elite player, but if you can put elite talent next to them, then all of a sudden you've got a defense that if it's, if it's blunt specifically, you've got a defense that's going to step up and, and be a real force to be reckoned with. 
Well, it's like you said, has hasn't been a huge problem getting them on campus, but let's let's get let's time get to close the deal, man. Let's get that deal closed. Uh, let's move on to a dollar here. We'll wrap up. It has been confirmed that Utah and Florida will kick off on Thursday night, August 31st. So for those of you that were hoping for a weekend out in Utah, the long weekend, take a couple days, take a couple days off. Anyway, you know, you would have flown out on Friday anyway, just get out there another day early. What's the difference on that? Uh, Rice Eccles stadium will be the host here out in Salt Lake city. Uh, kickoff time broadcast information have not been announced. I think the PAC 12 is trying to figure out what they're doing in general uh, on all that stuff. But I do know that this is something that was, this is not a surprise. This, this has been a flex option. This was a part of the contract. This was a part of the deal going into the game. I know some people look at the, Thursday kickoff and they're not too happy with it. But the fact is you get an early jump to your season. You get a start practice a few days early, and then you get a mini bye week while your competitors are playing. So, and who's game two? McNeese is game mm-hmm. two. So really you get that mini bye week and you get to watch the competition, start studying who you're playing. And I believe we got Tennessee week three. So, you know, you, you, you play that Utah game, you take that long week, and they're probably going to start nearly get two plus weeks of prep for Tennessee there, Will. So that's that's not a bad deal. Actually, I don't mind it from that standpoint. From the standpoint of it's a unique destination, and it'd be really cool for the fans to be able to go. This sucks. It, it absolutely sucks because I'll bet you a lot of fans were interested. I know personally, I was interested in going to this game Thursday night. Probably going to rule it out for me. Uh, if it was a Saturday, I probably would have definitely. Uh, I probably definitely would have done it, but uh, I'm not. I'm not sure about Thursday kickoff. Well, I'm not sure. I'm doing a five days vacation to go to a single game here. Yeah, this sucks for the fans. I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty clear. There, and look, there are going to be plenty of Gator fans who can go out there. There are going to be plenty of people who can adjust their schedules, and that's yeah. great. But there are also people who just can't, and so that stinks for people who can't that you can't get out there to a destination. The whole point or the whole benefit to fans of playing these home and homes is that you get the that you get the benefit of going to those games. So, you know, Colorado in a few years when we're there, Notre Dame, when there's a home and home with them, NC state, like those are all games that should be fun to go to. If they put them all on Thursday nights to start off the year. Well, okay. That takes away some of the luster for the fans in terms of the value of those home and homes. What you said about the, the schedule um, though, in terms of having an extra couple of days to recover a couple of extra days to study a couple of extra days, if they go out to Utah and things don't look right, well, now you have the ability to correct things, make changes, decide who you're going to play, all those sorts of things. Um, especially given the lack of experience that the team has, they are relying heavily, heavily, heavily on freshmen, redshirt freshmen and sophomores. I think it's something like 58 of their 85 scholarship players. That may not be quite right, but somewhere in that range, it's somewhere between 55 to 58 of their scholarship of their 85 scholarship players players are redshirt freshmen, freshmen, or sophomores. Um, And so when you look at it that way, you go, okay, there's probably going to need to be some corrective action taken after that first game. You hope you slip out with a win and then you're making corrections after a win. But if you're looking your wounds after a loss, you've still got the opportunity to make some corrections again before McNeese and then Tennessee, I think is the third game, either that or Kentucky. I can't remember. So um, yeah, I mean, look, I get that, but they made the decision easy for me. I mean, I was going back and forth between either going to Utah or trying to go down to Baton Rouge and catching a, the last rivalry game with LSU before the new schedules come out in 2024. 
And look, a flight down to New Orleans and hanging out with some people. Say, hey, if you want to come hang with us, let us know. Come down to come down to New Orleans, spend a night there, catch a catch a ride up to Baton Rouge, experience the jambalaya and all the tailgating and stuff. They're they're in Death Valley and going into that stadium, or go out to Salt Lake City for a Thursday night. I think it's a pretty easy decision, man. Like like if everything was equal, it was on a Saturday. You might choose Salt Lake City because you're going out there into a new place and you haven't been there before. But I've actually never been to a game at LSU, so that's that's sort of the goal for me this year is to get out there and catch one in Death Valley and uh, and enjoy that process um, and 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 yeah. that tradition. So that might I mean, be I mean, a tradition coming to an end as well. With, absolutely, with LSU, so, I mean, so you might get that. You might. Might be a good year to do that anyway. Well, look, I mean, I think the the reality is there's a lot of change coming. So that Oklahoma permanent opponent is going to give us opportunities to see the Sooners play the Gators a lot very early on. That's going to feel new. Like I mentioned, we have all these home and homes with Notre Dame and NC State and Colorado. Those are going to feel new. Um, you know, we're going to have the rotating SEC, so we're going to get to see Auburn way more often than we have in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll still have the Tennessee popping up every once in a while, depending upon how Heupel does there and how Florida's doing and how mouthy their fan bases sometimes you know it'll it'll still be kind of fun i think at least initially from a rivalry perspective you know it'll be nice though not to have to pound them 26 straight times or something and then they get one win and all of a sudden start mouthing off so you know it's it it is what it is right college football is changing thursday nights make give everybody the the um the platform that they want in terms of money and profile and recruiting and all that stuff. There's a reason why the spring game is on Thursday night this year as well. It's because the TV networks want it on Thursday night and the TV networks dictate stuff. So I have zero doubt that Florida, Utah is an attractive property for ESPN. And so, you know, that that's, that's why it's on a Thursday night. And look, the fans come second. The fans always come second. You got to realize that and understand that and then just enjoy it for what it is because it's a cool sport and we love it. And, you know, but sometimes the powers that be are out for money, not for, uh, not for the fans. And that's, that's all part of it. Hey, look, Ohio state's kicked off on a couple of these Thursdays at the beginning of the season. The last, like, I think two of the last five years, Indiana and Minnesota, they did road games with each of those, uh, uh, you know, some of the Labor Day weekends get moved around, right? The Labor Day game, there's usually one on Labor Day, one on that Sunday. So that first weekend, there's usually some flexibility among major programs. For Florida itself, interesting note here, first Thursday game since October of 1992 when they traveled to Mississippi State did not go well. This is from Gatorsports.com. Lost 30-6 to in that game. So, hey, it might be that kind of night in Salt Lake, Will. We don't know, but the one thing I'll say is with that little mini bye week and then McNeese, the team you see in Salt Lake, don't necessarily think that's going to be the same squad you're seeing when they they uh, kick it off against Tennessee in the swamp. Yeah, man, maybe later. we'll see. Maybe so. we'll see Max Brown a week too. <laughs> maybe why not Max Brown? Absolutely, why not, why not Max Brown? <laughs> All right, good show. Any final words, Will? Wow, oh, man, just a uh, couple things. We've got. Um, We've got the over on the Patreon channel. We're doing some ask me anything videos that pop up there two or three times a week. So if you're interested in asking us questions, um, the plan is to do videos over there two or three times a week, pretty much all off season long. So if you like this content, if you want more of it, you can check that out over on the Patreon channel. That's patreon.com slash read and reaction. And then the second thing is, Please like and subscribe these videos, um, letting us know that that uh, that you like it. Um, comment on here. We try to reply when there's something on there that uh, that piques our interest. But uh, um, but uh, you know, like and subscribe that helps us out. We appreciate it.
Have a great weekend, everyone. Go Gators. Go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask any things over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.